I'm Barbara Backard, mother, grandmother, sister, and I am co-founder of Vera Bradley, designed by women for women. If you think of why you cannot do something instead of just thinking, well, we'll try it. I love plan B's. Sometimes my plan B's are better than my plan A's, truly. I'm a big plan B person. Just go with it, try it. If it doesn't work out, don't be ashamed to say it didn't work out. Then try something else, go in a different direction. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Barbara Bradley Backhart is a self-made millionaire and co-founder of the iconic Vera Bradley Luggage and Handbag Company. She talks about building a business from scratch and the life lessons she's learned from designing a brand to go with her unique style. Your mom, Veronica, or Vera, who you <laughs> named the company after, was selling your bags until she died. Would you tell us a little bit about her? <laughs> well, she w- first of all, the reason I chose to name the company after her, I-, I might add, I did not know it would be this big. I was in, in my basement and making some little bags for my girls who were in college. And I remember it's specifically the day I called her and said, you know, I really think I'd like to name this company after you. And uh, she said, well, what kind of company are you starting? (laughs) Which always kind of cracks me up, like what come, like she thought I was starting a strip club or something. I have no idea. (laughs) But she wanted it, if it was going to have her name on it, she wanted to be proud of it. So I told her we were going to make handbags and luggage and all that. And she was a big part of it, actually, because the last time I saw her alive was at the Atlanta gift show, and she had just finished doing the gift show with us, and she was in her 80s at that time. So um, she had become almost kind of a celebrity. People would come up and ask for her autograph, <laughs> and um, it, she, she was great. She was my inspiration, for sure. You were a stay-at-home mom when you started the company. What motivated you to start a business? Um, I don't think I ever thought of starting a business, actually. I, I got married right out of college. I had four children in five years. I was very happy to be a stay-at-home mom, but I always had projects to do. Um, I would make items. I remember one time I made personalized tennis racket covers and sold them in a little shop. You know, I always had a project going. Um, The other thing, and I think most of them know this story, is um, I like to hang wallpaper. And we had moved in um, every two years. We had never been in a house two years after I was married. And um, so the quickest way to get a look, and I like color and I like design, was to put wallpaper up. Well, we didn't have a lot of money to hire wallpaper hangers, so I learned to do that, and it became a hobby with me. And then that grew into a little business, because when I was living in Chicago, I found a friend who she also had that same hobby. So we started a wallpaper hanging business, and we got a gimmick. We painted our ladders pink, and we wore pink overalls, and we put pink bows in our hair, painted our brushes pink, and we called ourselves the Paper Dolls. We were in our 20s. And um, everyone wanted the Paper Dolls to hang their wallpaper. And I found it really rewarding because you walk into a blank canvas, in other words, and then you leave 
and it's beautiful. And then we'd even go so far as to hang the pictures when we were done. I mean, I even babysat their kids. I said, oh, run out and do your groceries. You can leave your little ones with us. It, it was it was fun. And then we left. I left Chicago so that that ended there. Your first husband didn't want you to work, and you said you tried to convince him that you could work <laughs> and take care of the kids. How did you do that? I I think it, I don't know that it was he didn't want me to work. We got married so young, and I think you fall into a habit of what your role is. My role was stay-at-home mom, take care of the kids, plan vacations, do whatever we were doing. And I think when I started, um, when the children left for college, I just needed something more to do. And then I started going out to the gift shows, and I was having a ball. I mean, this was so much fun to me. And I would come home so excited and so inspired because I hadn't done that, you know? And so I think he, he just didn't know quite how this was turning out. And then he wanted to retire. He, his mantra was 50 and out. He did not want to work a day after he was 50. And I knew this practically from the time we got married. Well, I was just, Vera Bradley, I didn't start till I was 42. So at as we were approaching 50, in fact, he was two years older than I. So as I was approaching 48, I was getting a little nervous because he wanted to move to Florida, and I knew I would not be happy. Um, I, I just knew that wasn't what I would do the net rest of my life. And here I am still working every day, so obviously I would not have been happy sitting in Florida. What's your advice for women whose husbands aren't super supportive of, of their careers? Well, it's so wonderful to have someone supportive. My second husband was my greatest um, support, and he he loved the fact that I had that I was had independence, you know. And I'm just comparing the two. It's hard to compare the two because I don't like to say anything against the father of my four children, but he just didn't get it. I divide the whole world in in any realm. You get it or you don't get it. He didn't get it. And he didn't know why would I want to be working. And he often said to me, so it doesn't, you're having so much fun, it doesn't even seem like you're working that hard. Well, obviously, for him to say 50 and out, he was working hard and didn't enjoy it as much as I did. But I, it's wonderful. If you have someone supportive, I think it's the best gift uh, you could give someone. Even a friend or, or even your parents, you know, the support. Again, my mother, when I was going through a divorce, which was a terrible time in my life, and but my mother was there for me, and she was supportive, as was my dad. So, yeah. What advice do you have for female entrepreneurs who are trying to get their business off the ground? Okay. One word, relationships. Oh, my God. I could I could go on forever on this because, um, well, my father used to say in, in business or in anything, you sell yourself first, your company second, and your product third. There's a lot of product, just like Vera Bradley, people do not have to carry one of our bags. But I think when you see someone with a Vera Bradley, it's kind of a little bit of a wink, you know, and I know it happens on campuses and all of that. And I think when you have a relationship and you're true to the product and true to yourself and the people you work with, you know, we we really are a family. I, we, I love the people I work with. I love them. 
and I know, of course, I don't know all 3,000 of them now, but anyone that I have worked with on a daily basis, you know them and their kids and probably the name of their dog, you know, because that's the kind of relationship you have. And um, I would say as far as um, entrepreneurs, just make sure make sure you're developing the right relationships. You know, don't waste your time on something that's not going to be a long-term investment, both people-wise or I, I speak to a lot of college students, and I'll say even when you take internships, make sure you're working in a company where you respect the people. You don't want to work in a company where they don't have the right ethics or so. You know, you want to you want to believe in the company. So that's why I say the individual, the company, and then the product. Would you elaborate on what you mean you need to sell yourself first? Well, I think um, develop the relationships. You know, meet someone and really care about them. Be more interested than interesting. And get to know the people. And if you're working with those people, well, in a design way, well, I could give you a perfect example of this. If Okay, so when, when we started the gift shows, I called to get in the Chicago gift show. Well, they didn't have handbags in the gift shows, and they said, no, you belong in the fashion show. Well, I didn't think I did. I It wasn't a fashion-y thing. It was more of a gifting. So anyway, I talked my way into an eight-foot booth in the bottom, the lower level of McCormick Place in Chicago. And um, you couldn't find us with a map. I mean, we were back by the water cooler, but way back in the back. All right, so then there was a party they were going to have for exhibitors, and I thought, well, I'll go to this party. So I went to the party and started, I better start meeting people and getting to know them. Well, in the booth next to ours, to tell you what bad placement we had, was a company that sold little magnet things like butterflies for your garage door or earrings, little um, magnet. They look like pierced earrings. So anyway, I made friends with those people, and I had a pair of the earrings in my purse. And at this party, I see a little six-year-old girl walking around kind of by herself. So I went up and started talking to her, and I had the earrings, and I said, "You, I'll show you something cute. So I put the earrings on her. She went to show her mother. Next thing you know, her mother comes over to me and said, who are you sitting with? And I said, well, I'm not sitting with anyone. I was there all alone. She said, well, sit with us. So the program starts, and the mother turns to the little girl and goes, shh, daddy's going to speak now. Well, it turned out it was he was the head of the entire gift show, New York, Chicago, Vegas, all the gift shows, Will Little, George Little Management. And here I am at the main table. Because why? Because I just talked to this little girl. you know, And I, there was no way I could have figured out a connection with her. So anyway, the next day, he comes down to see my booth, and he said, oh, my goodness, we got to get you out of this basement, you know. So next show, I'm up in the main floor, and then he nominated me to the board of directors, and I ended up marrying the president of the board of directors. So uh, the relationship, when I say communication and talking to someone who can maybe do nothing for you, but the fact that you're touching base with them. You never know. We call them Godwinks in our family because things happen in your life that bring people into your life. You can't even figure it out, 
but you just say, thank God this happened, my life would be totally different. Coming up, Barbara bradley Backhard discusses finding the drive to keep expanding her company into new business opportunities. ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal. You say women shouldn't overthink their ideas. What do you mean? Yeah, I think sometime you um, you think, oh, okay, we'll go back to Vera Bradley again. If I had thought, well, I can't start a business. I haven't been to business school. I'm terrible at math to this day. You know, if you think of why you cannot do something instead of just thinking, well, we'll try it. I love plan Bs. Sometimes my plan Bs are better than my plan As, truly. It, in decorating and everything in my life, well, my, my husband. <laughs> okay, so sometimes things work out because the first thing didn't work out. And if you totally don't try the first thing that might not work out, you'll never get to the second thing that does. And I've had some really good examples of things in my life that have, or, you know, you could say in real estate, you don't get a certain house, you're devastated, you get a different house, and then you think I would have never known those neighbors had I gotten the first house. So I'm a big plan B person. And also, just go with it. Try it. If it doesn't work out, don't be ashamed to say it didn't work out. Then try something else. Go in a different direction. When you started out, you said men would tell you and your partner that what you girls should do, yeah, so to yeah. speak. How do you react to that? Well, I, you know, I love that question. People ask me a lot if if it was a disadvantage being a woman. I say, are you kidding me? It was a great advantage being a woman because the men were always telling you what to do. And you don't need to do it, but listen to them. You know, I can't tell you how many dinner parties I'd be at where they say, now you know what you ought to do. Hmm, what ought I do, you know? And don't take it. I've always felt equal to men. No one had to, I didn't need, no one had to tell me that I was equal. Uh, I came from a family, four girls, two boys. I went to all-female college. So I didn't, I, if I wanted to be president of class, I could. There wasn't a man thinking, well, I'll never be president of class. I wasn't president, by the way, but I could have been had I wanted to. So I, I just think being, in a, being a woman, it's, I think it's all your own attitude about who you are. I mean, I could say the same about being a redhead, the, you know, redheaded stepchild. You know? I think it's how you feel about yourself. And um, if you feel equal or above equal or whatever, then that's where you belong. How did the IPO change your financial life? Uh, financial? I don't think it changed it so financially because I'm not a big I don't look at the stocks every day. That doesn't, I don't wake up wondering if the stock went up or down. Uh, another funny story happened last Christmas. Right before Christmas, I was at the office with three days left till Christmas, and they were taking the Christmas trees down. And I said, why are we doing this? Well, so many people have left, and we thought we'd get a you know leg up on this. And I, no, I had a 
fit. So we put the tree back up. So the rumor ran around the company, and they all said, you know, the stock goes down, and Barb doesn't say anything. The tree comes down, and she goes crazy. So I, I, don't, I don't look at being a public company. I wanted to succeed, of course, and, and I think that the negative to it is sometimes you make decisions based on the stock and the bottom line that I might not have made years ago if it had just been about the brand. So uh, it doesn't affect my, my daily life. My, uh, one of my sons-in-law is the chairman of the board, and he keeps me up on all this stuff. Most people are shopping at physical stores. How do you adapt as a retailer? I think you just have to embrace it. It's where we are. You know, I, I, um, I love our physical stores. I, I love to decorate them and help out with them. I love the people that work there. Again, the experience when you walk in to one of our stores. We have so many stories of people that just go to the store because they consider the salespeople there friends, you know, and you don't get that online. Uh, one woman said her dog died and she had no one to go to. She went to a Vera Bradley store because she knew she'd, they'd understand. You know, I love that. She wrote me a letter about that. Um, so I'm not a big online shopper. Uh, my daughters are. And um, but I think you just have to weigh them both and you have to do the best in both worlds. You know, you have to cover it all. What advice would you give women who are going to business with a co-founder? Know your strengths. I think Pat and I were very lucky as partners because I think we were more or less divided. She was more the business end of it. That was her interest. And I was more creative. So we never had a discussion about uh, should we bring in this Java Blue pattern or something. You know, that was kind of my call. It works. You make it work. You know, a lot of people don't, but they say the same thing about family, and I have a lot of family members, and I guess I'd say choose wisely. Just like your family, don't hire every family member. But if you have a family member who's right for the job, why wouldn't you hire them? And um, with Pat and I, it just kind of worked out. We were friends. You're going into the hotel business. What motivated you to consider that? <laughs> well, because there's no place in Fort Wayne to have somebody. You know, we recruit people a lot to Fort Wayne, and I'm very proud of it as a city. Cost of living, the people, the restaurants, the theater, the Philharmonic, the schools, everything is great. And then you, we don't have any boutique hotels. And I know when I'm in Europe, and um, I love staying in nice hotels, and it affects me personally because I'm affected by my surroundings. So um, that's been one thing. You know, at George um, Bush's funeral, they mentioned one of his rules or one of his suggestions was always leave a place better than you found it. And I think that really struck me because that's how I feel about Fort Wayne. We need this. So I'm doing this personally. Uh, it's not Vera Bradley. It's Barbara Backard. I'm naming it after my mother also because her maiden name was Fox, and I was able to get a, a beautiful lot on Main Street in Fort Wayne. So it'll be the Fox on Main, which I like because it describes where it is. You don't have to ask. And um, I, I just think we need that. It's going to make Fort Wayne a little, put us a little bump it up one notch. Do you think of it as an investment? 
kind of because I know I thought it would be smaller and it's going to be 125 rooms because that's the tipping point or the break-even point. Um, personally, I don't, but I think people looking out for my finances, <laughs> they do. <laughs> but I haven't focused on that part of it. You're I think it'll be a good investment, though, yes. Your second husband died over a decade ago. What advice would you give other widows? Well, I I just adored him, and I was very, very lucky to have had him in my life. But he ended up with Alzheimer's disease, and I would not have—I don't wish him back because um, it's just not anything anyone wants to go through. But I remember his doctor down at Indiana University called me when Pierre died and said, you know, you gave your husband the greatest gift you could give him. You let him die first. And, you know— I love that thought because I think women support women. I think it is easier in a way. You know, my life, I I remember going off and doing a gift show right after he died. My mother did the same after my father passed away. I think women go on. We support each other and we're strong. And um, I think men probably remarry quicker. (laughs) They might have an advantage there. I, I think I'd just say Keep close to your friends and your family and, and have things that keep you busy. Yeah. And then I've done some wonderful things in his name to to make me feel better about his disease and his loss. You know, we endowed a chair for Alzheimer's research at Indiana University. Then I opened a, a day away center in Fort Wayne. Uh, it's so that someone with someone, a loved one with Alzheimer's, um, can leave their loved one there from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And it's beautiful. I mean, it, it's beautiful, beautiful place. And that gives me a lot of consolation to know, you know, some good has come from it, that loss. I read that as part of your estate planning, you put most of the shares of your company in trust for your children. How did you make that decision? I should say my children, <laughs> They probably talk me to no, I'm kidding. No, I just feel that's that's good for them. I mean, I'm giving a lot away too. We're doing a lot charitably and my kids are very involved in that. They have so much money that they they, they really as far as the um Barbara Bradley Backard Foundation, they really more or less determine where the funds go. And all because I wanted them to take care of that. It's so then it's not just about me. And I started that very young when my grandchildren were little baby, you know, five, six years old, four years old. Whenever I gave them money, they had to give a portion of it away to a charity. And I learned from them the joy they had in giving because they would say, you know, I got your hundred dollars, whatever it is. I bought a bike helmet. But I gave ten dollars to you know any whoever they would name a boy in my class whose house burned down or something, and I thought they are now learning how much happiness that brings to you to give it away. What's the best personal finance advice you ever heard? Enjoy it, spend it, <laughs> give it away. Don't hoard it. I I think that it's really sad when you see people that have trouble parting with something because. You know, the old saying, they say you never saw a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And I think that's kind of my philosophy. But I think um, 
The best advice I would say is to share it with people and make other people happy because of it. And I, I feel like that's been one of the fun things about having money because you get to a point in your life where you don't need, you don't need anything. You don't need, you know, but to share it is the best thing you can do. Time now for your secrets. I'm Barbara Backard, and my money secret is to equal things out, a little bit Valentino, a little bit Gap, or in the jewelry, you know, you can never tell. Sometimes you can have some great costume jewelry that looks better than something that costs a lot. So I don't think it has anything to do with what you spend on something. It's your look. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. John Wardock is the executive producer of WSJ Podcasts. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women.